the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. You want to talk about Jon Snow? Is he alive or dead? We could do that. But more than likely, you probably want to talk retirement issues, saving issues, investing issues. In this hour, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite stocks, um, probably next segment. And I'm going to give you some details on why it's one of my favorite stocks. So America's finally putting its foreclosure crisis behind it. It's taken about nine years, but the number of U.S. homes and foreclosures has fallen to a level not seen since before the 2008 housing crisis. The people who are always pushing real estate typically have a huge financial interest in it. You need to be careful. More than 500,000 people are going to boycott Target over their transgender bathroom policy. It seems to me like we should have more important things to boycott over. Uh, But call me crazy. Apple CEO Tim Cook's auctioning off the chance to have lunch with him, a private lunch with him. Um... Got to spare $250,000, maybe $150,000. We'll see what it goes for, but that seems pretty crazy kind of money. Time Warner's launching a Netflix for diehard movie fans, uh, trying to continue to you know hold off Netflix. Netflix is moving more towards TV shows, it seems, less towards movies. Although they got their fingers in movies as well, but not as much as they used to. So Time Warner's got all these great classic cult, foreign indie, classic art house. And they're trying to set up a, a service like Netflix for movies, for people who like that experience. Um, Chipotle's going to report tonight, and it'll be interesting to see how they do, in large part because of their uh, food safety issue. And they followed that up with a free burrito coupon in the mail issue. And we're going to see what we get out of that. Uh, Pepsi is interest, doing something interesting this summer. Um, they know that television ads are annoying. So they're setting up the latest ad campaign for five-second long commercials, both online and on TV. Um, they're trying to sweeten consumers on their sweetened sodas. Fizzy drinks are losing air at this point in time. 
uh, five-second commercials. Huh. Costco is likely to increase their membership fees. Last time they did it was about five, six years ago. Look for an increase sometime before 2017 of 5 to $10. So you can continue to get your industrial size bottles of ketchup. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Chad, i got a couple of emails for you. All right, let's do it. What do you think about just investing in the total stock market? Annual return is 12% average over the last 20 years. I think that, uh, well, you and I talk about this all the time. I mean, one of the great things that you can do if you're first starting out as an investor and you want to go open up your Roth IRA, you're young, you're you're not going to panic out when you have stock market corrections, total stock market indexes, but you're only getting U.S. if you do that, and that's an issue in my opinion. So I would try to go um, maybe 70% total stock market U.S., 15% emerging markets, 15% in international developed if you're going to start accumulating. And the greatest way to do this in the past to be able to do a monthly dollar cost average, all that means is a monthly contribution. Sometimes you're buying high, sometimes you're buying low, right? That's what dollar cost averaging means. Mm-hmm. Is uh, You used to be have to go to no-load fund companies like Vanguard to do that. Now, if you want to have everything in one place, you can open up a Roth IRA if you're eligible or a regular taxable account at TD Ameritrade, Schwab, whatever it may be, and you can buy uh, ETFs, exchange-traded funds. Right. And if you look on their no transaction fee ETF lists, which they all have now, there's about 100 or more, you can find total stock market index options in the U.S. and international. So what I tend to tell people is for your first, you know, up to hundred dollars to $200,000 is, yeah, go ahead and accumulate index funds. Once you become more wealthy, you, you, need, you need some wealth management means, you know, you're also worried about the downside. And uh, so more active management in the areas of small cap, emerging markets, international, I think is important. But when you're younger, timing the market doesn't matter. Apps that time the market, uh, it's tr- software that time the market, people that look at charts and think they can time the market. Yeah, they sound cool on radio, but it's accumulation that's key. It's not timing the market. I agree. You mentioned that the total stock market, you said it's uh, too U.S. centric and that you need the emerging markets and other. Mm-hmm. Um, but doesn't the total stock market have things like Nike in it that are national, international? Yeah, and that's that, that's the interesting thing. You know, I recently went to a a uh, kind of not a, a I want to say a conference. That's what I'm looking for on international investing. Easy for you to say. Yeah, and and so what as we evolve in international investing, which international investing has always been important. In fact, um, you know, it, it ha- you go through cycles when the U.S. outperforms, but rarely is the U.S. the best market. Rarely, even when the market is really good in the U.S., rarely it is the best place. Is it the best place to be? Um, but isn't that because we're more efficient as a market? Well, we're more mature. So in emerging markets, that means you're emerging. So you could have five or six really bad stories, and you know, four or five really really good stories. So it's much more volatile, and you have currency issues to deal with as well. But as the world is becoming kind of more tied to one overall GDP in the world. Yeah, you have the S&P 500, over half the revenues come from overseas. So international investing will become more of a where is the revenue coming from play, uh, especially with with the U.S., all these U.S. companies doing this tax inversion. Like you look at Medtronic, they're buying Covidian so that they could, you know, be incorporated in Ireland um, to get rid of the U.S. tax system. So it's still a matter of, okay, now 
that company is going to be considered an international company? I don't think so. It's really a U.S.-based company. So where are the revenues coming from? But you don't have to get too concerned with that when you're younger. Stock market will treat you well over 10, 15 years very well. So Ron's question wasn't bad. No. Uh, he just needed a little bit more flavor or a little more diversification. Yep. And that's something that you also – you talked just a second ago about accumulation, but you also talk on a regular basis about um, – Equity diversification, asset allocation. What do those mean real briefly to you? Well, equity diversification is, is sectors. So you don't want to end up with a whole bunch of stocks if you're doing individual stocks or ETFs that are all basically in the same realm of the economy, whether it's technology, uh, transportation, oil and gas, whatever. You want a little bit of everything because just when you think an area is out of favor, that's when it tends to do really well. Um, sector allocation, sectors tend to do be the best place to be two or three years in a row, and then they're one of the worst places to be. Sectors rotate in terms right. of what's in favor and what's out of favor. Same with asset classes. You have large cap, small cap, mid cap, international. And on the international side, you have developed emerging markets and now frontier markets, very different areas. What are so. frontier markets? Um, like the Wild West. Yeah, I mean, you can get places like Africa. Okay. Uh, well, Qatar, which is spelled looks like Quaidar when you spell it right. Yeah. Um, uh, some some of the places in the Middle East were just graduated up out of the frontier markets into emerging markets. So it's it's different ways to just slice the pie. And you like pie, right? I do like pie. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black. One of my favorite, absolute favorite things to see is when people say, I'll move out of the country if someone's elected president. You may not like the way someone's campaigning. You may not like that person. But seriously, is that the best threat we could have? Is that that just seems like sixth grade. So Lena Dunham said she'd move out, move to Canada. And Trump goes, well, she's a B actor, a B minus actor. Oh, it, Whoopi Goldberg, he says. I heard Whoopi said that, too. That'd be a great thing for our country. Give him credit. He is a good, you know, sixth-grade bully on the playground. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I mentioned that I would talk about one of my favorite stocks, and in no way, shape, or form is this an endorsement for you to go out and buy it. Uh, You always need to consult a broker advisor before taking any action on any stocks ever mentioned. Um, otherwise, you're just going to get yourself into trouble. Um, so one of my favorite stocks is Visa. And I've been saying that for seven years. Um, I like some stocks that won't get you into trouble. I feel very comfortable throwing that out there. Now, of course, there's going to be competition. Uh, I've got two MasterCards and one Visa in my wallet right now. 
I like some of the deals that MasterCard pulls off for rewards. There's a wide moat. Visa generated $1.7 billion in net income. $830 million in free cash flow during the fiscal second quarter. They used $1.8 billion of cash to repurchase shares and pay out another $336 million in dividends. They are not immune to global economies. You've heard about an international slowdown. China, Brazil um, are amongst the two biggest ones. Consumers in these countries cut back on travel, cut back on spending. They reduce their domestic spending as well as profitable cross-border transaction volume. You don't stop and think about that, do you? But when you use your visa overseas, they make more money. Falling energy prices in the United States, you know, has affected the U.S. economy with lower gasoline prices. Lower gasoline prices equals lower percentages of the transaction, right? Um, they did a merger with Visa Europe, which they should never have spun off because uh, it was costly to get back, but they expect revenue growth of 7 to 8% in that relationship. That's pretty good. The overall strength of the U.S. economy is likely to ebb and flow, but the overall growth of electronic payments are going to continue. It seems likely that cross-border commerce will increase dramatically over a longer time frame. So what else can I throw out at there? What else can I throw out about it? Uh, the European Commission... Uh, they frown on, you know, some of the arrangements that Visa and Visa Europe have put together. So Visa's going to have to pay an additional 750 million euros upon closing, plus 4% annual interest for the following three years. Switching costs for Visa Euros issuing customers do exist, and the combined corporation will be in a strong position in the Hayden relationships, though, as they move over those uh, accounts to the new U.S. company. Operating margins pretty steady at 67%. Operating expenses um, increased 6% during the year. But those operating margins are stunning. Like, let me be sexist here. Or maybe I could be a baseball purist here. Some guys really like strong starting pitching. Some people like relievers to come in and save the day. Some people want a strong first baseman who doesn't make errors, a shortstop who's quick and plucky, but has a little pop in his bat and speed on the bases, a catcher who can manage the game well. There's little components that everyone likes, right? When it comes to stocks, one of the things you should look at is the operating margin. Not just the P.E. The P.E. is too easy. The five-year P.E. is a little bit better. The price to sales is something that's interesting. So believe it or not, and this may, this may sound like the dumbest thing that I've ever said, but any company that can sponsor a Super Bowl halftime show might be a company that you want to invest in because they might be pretty damn dominant. If you turn on football on Sundays on the television, you see a lot of Visa, 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 Visa. You turn on the San Francisco Giants, and oh, look out in right field, there's the Visa box. So they've slightly cut back on marketing cost, and they've reduced some professional fees. They're a great company to work for because they do a very, very nice benefits package. Now, that's not totally perfect, though. You know, when you're on the West Coast in the Bay Area, your benefit package is competing with Google and Facebook. So they don't compete with Google and Facebook and benefit packages. Uh, but Google and Facebook, they get like sushi at lunch. Sushi! 
but everything else Visa does, including throwing 3% of your 3% of cash in an account for you and matching your 401k, they do a really, really nice job. Um, they continue expense discipline. Firm is capable of monitoring a weaker second half outlook. Visa dominates the global market right now for electronic payments, accounting for about half of all credit card transactions, roughly three-fourths of all debit card transactions. I loved <clears throat> when our society went to pay at the pump, where you could punch in your debit card or your credit card and not actually have to go in and see that person who has probably been reading Jugs Magazine all day long and you don't want to shake his hands, but... Uh, Jugs Magazine being, you know, the 18th century Byzantine pottery magazine that people read at gas stations. Um, you know, who doesn't love 18th century pottery, in my opinion? I think it was the classic era for pottery. But, you know, Visa earns fees based on the volume of payments made under the Visa brand and the number of transactions processed through its Visa network. Um, of course, there's a lot of companies in the Bay Area who are trying to put Visa out of business with the way you handle money and transfer money. Next, but Visa has been investing in some of these guys, so they're not going to, you know, let see a startup come and you know take away from them per se. Next five years, you're going to see just crazy rapid development of payment businesses, just like we have in the last five years. Visa is still on track to ensure its connections uh, in the virtual world are as plenty and secure as they are physical. And competitors are going to have a tough time replicating, you know, the network's offerings. Uh, Visa faces the threat of increased regulation, the company's ability to set interchange fees. Um, few competitors can match the investments in technology and security and marketing that Visa makes. One of the things that I like about Visa, um, I have a friend that works there, and uh, she's got a like a marine biology degree got a friend that works there that has a psychology degree and you're like how does that fit into visa um it's a lot like the service that you get at apple stores they're not looking for the perfect retail person visa is not looking for the perfect financial person they're looking for a good human being um i think new payments um will be incorporated will be built into what visa does rather than disrupt visa apple pays early success supports that thesis Complex international regulatory regimes create significant barriers to entry. Um, so I'm not telling you to go out and buy Visa. I think the biggest risk to Visa is rel related to regulation and litigation. An extremely profitable participant in an oligopoly, Visa is often the target of lawyers and politicians. Uh, it's cool to go after them, but ticker symbol is V for those of you who want to play at home. Uh, look what they've done in the last five to seven years, and you'll see that... My comfort levels have been rewarded. Uh, stocks at an all-time high. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. It's the first source that I turn to every morning when I want to catch up on what's happening in the markets. Mr. O'Hare, how are you? Good morning, Rob. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Let me start with an odd question for you. Um, my news station that I work at, Cron TV in San Francisco, uh, we have a reporter named Gabe Slate who's a tech reporter, and he's started a three-week-long series of what's why tech is slowing down and how tech is slowing down and what it looks like that tech is slowing down. Is that a sign that things are slowing down in tech, or is that a sign that it's now time to be buying tech because media has finally caught up to the story? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm wondering if his, if his focus is on um, those leading technology names, Facebook, Alphabet, um, you know, Netflix and Amazon.com. <laughs> uh, and I say that only because I think that there's a risk we, we run these days at, um, at looking at the stocks of those companies uh, and then uh, basically assessing that that means, you know, the entire technology landscape is slowing down. Um, so I don't know where the focus of this report is. But nonetheless, those stocks have not done uh, spectacularly well here. Uh, but what everyone needs to keep in mind is that they had such a huge run um, last year and leading up to last year that I think you just have more of um, people taking stock of valuation and uh, the idea that expectations are so high and so that the risk-reward perhaps uh, over the near term is not as great as it once was. But having said that, I think you can argue uh, from uh, what we see in the broader economic landscape globally uh, that there's not a lot of confidence uh, in the business outlook. Uh, there's not a lot of investment taking place. And I think uh, because of those worries about uh, relatively weak levels of aggregate demand, uh, technology spending, uh, you know, could be at risk of, a, of slowing down here. And we're certainly seeing that uh, on the um, legacy PC side of the business, right? So there's been a technology transformation here where you're seeing less emphasis on buying desktop computers and laptops and more of an emphasis these days on buying smartphones uh, that can uh, pack a pretty good computing punch themselves. Do you want to talk a little uh, 21st century and how businesses have changed in the last 10, 20 years of working at briefing.com and does it make your job easier to see the changes like, um, you know, what I see USA Today uh, buying the Tribune this week, uh, potentially picking up the LA Times and just the massive change. I think briefing does a really nice job of of encapsulating a lot of that through some of their columns. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I can I can say, uh, you know, I have certainly benefited from the improved uh, technology. I mean, when I um, began in uh, my position at Briefing.com, you know, over 19 years ago, I literally was, you know, using a dial-up line uh, to, you know, to connect. So, uh, you know, in terms of the speed of of information uh, that I could get uh, at that point in time, uh, you know, was a vast improvement from what it was, you know, say two years before I even started. But, you know, when I look at where I started and, and kind of how quickly and instantaneously I can get data downloaded today, um, uh, it, it's amazing, as well as the, the various resources available to me. It's not just a newspaper and a TV. 
it's you know social media as well uh, as any number of uh, data-driven uh, platforms like the Bloomberg Terminal and fact sets and Thomson Reuters and, and things of, of those nature. But uh, there's no question that um, you know my job has been made easier and I've been more productive with the advancements in technology um, over the last 19 years. Is globalization and technology improvements good for the world economy, or do you think it's causing massive disruptions that are bad for the overall world economy? Because yeah. Um, let's face it, we, robots um, take away jobs. Um, <clears throat> you've recently heard Facebook talk about starting up, you know, automated uh, response chats so that, you know, mm-hmm. companies can interact with customers without actually paying someone to interact with customers. Right. Well, I think you're hitting the nail on the head there, Rob, in terms of what the, the core of this debate is, right? So globalization and technology have done some wonderful things for, for the broader landscape. It's helped, you know, keep prices down, you know, for consumers and businesses alike, because you now have some tremendous pricing transparency that you didn't have before. Um, You also have a a lot more competition, um, not just domestically, but, you know, international companies uh, competing with those domestic companies here, and that's helped keep, you know, uh, prices down, all things considered. Um, But to your very cogent point and one that is of, of you know, growing concern, I think, is that uh, while technology has allowed uh, employees to be more productive, um, it's also allowed for, you know, companies to replace human capital uh, with technological capital to get the jobs done. And, uh, you know, it's those advancements, you know, continue to be made. Um, so it could be detrimental. There, there's certainly some some disruptions uh you know within the lands within the labor landscape from um, you know the advancements in technology but you know out of that there's always born opportunity so what we may need to see happen is just a transformation of you know job skills um, where you you know ideally educate upcoming workers moving from more you know, manual labor to more uh, of an emphasis on, say, you know, programming computers and um, more engineering emphasis, things like that. So there's always an opportunity in something that uh, is, is, you know, in the present time looked at as being destructive. Um, people might have said that as well when, you know, from moving from that agrarian economy into the industrialized economy, right? And there's some tremendous advancements in uh, living standards that took place because of that, but obviously a lot of you know, agrarian workers were displaced with the Industrial Revolution, and that has continued to, you know, move forward here. So, uh, and, uh, you know, I don't think anyone would disagree that, you know, uh, living standards today are, are far better than they were, you know, 100 years ago. So um, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch, but there's, there's you know, benefits and, uh, and some disadvantages to, to every uh, uh, major uh change in terms of uh, technology that comes our way. On to the current markets. Uh, we're in earnings season, and we're seeing companies, like you noted in your page one today, some diverse non-tech companies do quite, not quite well, but do well. Are you surprised how well the companies are doing, or is this part of that under-promise over-deliver? Yeah, it's uh, it's the latter in my my view. You know, I think when we say that they're doing well, well, they're they're doing well relative to what the expectation was. But you know, if you look at them, you know, 
uh, how they compared to the year ago period, you know, they're not doing so great. Um, but, you know, this market is, you know, they call earnings season the silly season for a reason. You know, it finds a way to, to sort of rationalize the next move up. Uh, based on a headline that suggests that earnings were better than expected, but uh, get what gets lost in that translation is that earnings were not good; they were just better than expected. Um, but you know that argument again is that a lot of that news is priced into the market ahead of time because the market is a forward-looking entity. Uh, I I took some exception to that in my earnings preview for this first quarter reporting period, but. Clearly, what we're seeing right now, though, is a market that has its sights set on the second half of the year, and a belief that that's uh, that you're going to see much better economic and earnings growth, driven in large part by the weakening of the dollar we've seen, uh, as well as the jump in oil prices, and uh, ideally this hope for a pickup in uh, in end demand as you know labor market strengthens and hopefully incomes increase and uh, consumers feel better about spending some of that money. I know you're not saying the sky is falling, but haven't we been saying we look for the second half of the year, I want to say for at least three years in a row? <laughs> and second half of the year has kind of delivered, kind of. Yeah, well, what I've uh, have written for many years now, I'll take it back even further. I, I feel like ever since we bottomed in March 2009 that the, the outlook six months from whatever period you're talking about is always better, right, in this market's okay. mind, no matter what's going on. It's always looking for a basis to rationalize why things are going to be better. And you keep coming back to that great safety net of central bank stimulus. Uh, that's what the market seems to end up uh, riding on to, uh, to overlook uh, all signs, all, all kinds of disappointing economic data or earnings news. Um, you know, eventually, I guess, if you are willing to hold out long enough, you might, you might get it. <laughs> but the question is when it actually will avail itself. Um, and right now, despite these better-than-expected first-quarter earnings, uh, the second-quarter earnings estimate has come down since the start of the reporting period. Right? So now we're looking for a 4.2% decline in second-quarter earnings, according to S&P Capital IQ, versus a decline of just 2.8% when the reporting period began. So, um, you know, so we'll see what happens, but uh, for the full year, we're not looking uh, – there's basically no growth expected in spite of what we're starting to hear better first quarter earnings. Thanks for working with me on this one. Um, you answered my questions beautifully, and some of them had curves in them, so I appreciate it. Sure thing, Rob. Thank Mr. you. Pat You're welcome. It's Mr. Patrick O'Hare. You can find him at briefing.com. He writes every day. He writes a big piece once a week, maybe sometimes twice a week. Um, there's nothing like briefing.com as far as market data on the fly. Uh, they do a great job of showing you what's in play uh, with their live in play section. I think they do a very, very nice job summing up earnings. So today after Apple reports, uh, you'll get a lot of information at briefing.com.
You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Over 700,000 people are boycotting Target over transgender bathroom policies. It's kind of turning into a civil war of bathroom policies. You're seeing some crazy tweets going out saying, I'm going to bring my Glock into the bathroom with me at Target. Wow, really? That's where we are. Um, but it's turning into, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram having kind of like a say, or people can put out a voice now very quickly. Um, I think this is going to be pretty interesting to watch how it plays out in the future of who do we block, who do we not block, and will target change. Now, on the other side of the fence, you know, 700,000 people saying, I'm not going to come into your store. You're going to lose shoppers. Will they really follow up on that is a big question. But on the other side of the fence is the artists like um, Bruce Springsteen and businesses saying we won't do business in North Carolina because of some recent laws, a bill passed in late March forcing people to use the bathroom that corresponds with the sex list on their birth certificate. Uh, in Minnesota, where Target is headquartered, a Republican state senator proposed a bill that would limit access to restrooms and dressing rooms based on biological sex. I'm not smart enough to solve this. I can tell you the fascinating thing that's coming out of this, again, is everyone's response on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and not a lot of action going on in, say, the courts, or in, say, the actual boycott. We'll see. Again, I'm not smart enough to know if that's going to work or not. Um, but again, to me, the fascinating thing is the voice of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Costco's yearly fee for its Gold Star membership is going to probably increase to 60 bucks from 55 bucks, and its executive membership probably going to jump to 120 bucks from 110. Uh, so that's out there. Uh, real estate prices are going up in what I would call medium-sized towns like Portland, uh, Oregon, Denver, Colorado, and Seattle, Washington. Uh, those cities have all seen rapid job gains driven by strong software and tech companies. San Francisco has cooled to under 10%. Some cities like Washington, Chicago, and Boston are all growing at less than 3% year over year, which is kind of nice to see. Um, taking a look at some other cities, um, Los Angeles growing at 7, 6.8%, Detroit at 6.5%, Cleveland 36 Who would ever move to Cleveland? Seriously? Um, Washington, D.C., uh, just 1.4% growth. So some once previously hot markets are cooling for sure. New York City, 2.1%. That is a sign that there's not a lot of inventory on the high end, and that could kind of become self-fulfilling. Um, I don't want to sell my house unless I can find another house to move into. If there's not a lot of inventory, I don't have a lot of options. You with me or are you against me? You must pick a side. Um... 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you really want to talk about, we can talk about. Fed begins its two-day policy meeting today. Earnings are in focus. Oil gained overnight. 
Apple's reporting this evening after the market closes. Financial and industrial stocks um, are outperforming. So we are in earnings season. There was one biotech company that I saw today down 50-plus percent, which, again, you see there's some problems. Um, <clears throat> you can see that there's some problems with biotech stocks. Of If a company is developing a pill that I could take to help build muscle when I'm 75 years old, they have to go through testing, phase one, phase two, phase three. If at any point in time it gets turned down, shut down, stopped, um, that stock's going to get crushed. So biotech index is an index that I like to watch because it shows a lot of speculation because a lot of biotech stocks are all about the future. Will they or won't they come up with a product to sell? So just throwing that out there. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It is earnings season. Uh, <coughs> I think I have the black lung. Where did that come from? <coughs> Holy mackerel. Uh, Sripta Therapeutics is the company that um, is down 50 plus percent. I saw an interesting article uh, from an analyst who says Apple will never sell a car because ultimately they won't make as much profit from it as their other gadgets do. So a couple options for Apple, though, would be to develop a car and then spin it off, develop a car, merge with Tesla, develop a car, merge with another company, merge that car with another company. But the analyst said selling automobiles would be catastrophic for Apple's valuation. Now, this also brings up some questions. Should companies push the envelope or should companies serve the shareholders? Um, Apple pulls in 40% gross profit margins from the iPhone, the iPad, and other products. Tesla loses $4,000 on every Model S they sell. Um, you can't make, or it's tough to make, 40% profit margins on press steel, on brake pads, on seats, when the others who are buying all these things in much greater volume can't do it. It's just not feasible. Um, will, the, will, the be, will they develop something like self-driving? China's way ahead of the United States in self-driving cars at this point in time. Um, will they make something that's kind of maybe a, an option that you can buy for a BMW, a Daimler? Um, something that would be you know, part of their electric cars infused with Apple technology. That's probably the most noteworthy. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.